Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. It's good to be with you again. Miss seeing you a bit as we've been traveling some of our previously scheduled summer activities, but sure good to be back with you and certainly have been enjoying working with the staff. And I hope you know uh, what wonderful people they are, what wonderful leaders they are. I hope you're praying for them, supporting them. I know Michelle has a huge event starting this afternoon as our pastors and staff are supporting. And I'll be here as well at 5.30 today and would love to see you and greet your kids. And if you're an adult and maybe don't have kids and want to come, I want to invite you. If nobody's invited you yet, let me say you're welcome and I'm inviting you to be here tonight. I think it'll be a great time uh, for us to be together as a church family. Uh, Let me also say to you, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. I know it is summertime. Uh, But there's a lot going on behind the scenes that if you're not aware of, let me just pull the curtain back a little bit. And I know announcements are being made. You may or may not be here uh, during the time when those announcements are made. But uh, the pastor search committee is meeting tomorrow. uh, And that's always an exciting time. They have completed, I think, two very important uh, tasks, uh, two different assessments to be able to look at our church family, to understand our current dynamic and situation and needs. And they'll be digesting that tomorrow. Very important time. I hope you'll pray for them. Uh, Also, um, as our staff meets uh, week by week, just putting some things in order and uh, the regular events that are going on, working with things like pastor search committees. I think we've got um, two other committees besides the pastor search committee that are working, one for senior adults and one for children. And I hope you'll be prayerful for both of those positions as uh, teams are uh, interacting and beginning their work. And so please pray for those uh, teams. Please Uh, Be supportive of those teams, and I hope you'll be excited for those teams as they continue to help us take step-by-step the kind of advances uh, that we need to make as a church ministry. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, either turn them on or take them out and turn to Acts chapter 1. You've probably noticed we keep visiting in Acts, and you may say, are we going to only preach from Acts? Well, we're going to preach a lot from Acts because it's a great time to hear what God says about the church. Periodically, we will be in other passages of Scripture, but this will be our last week in Acts chapter 1, and uh, when we get to Acts chapter 2, boy, the fireworks really start shooting at that point because things get exciting in the New, or New Testament church and the early church, and you'll want to be here to see the kinds of things that God is wanting to do. Right now, it's just preparation, preparation, preparation. As a matter of fact, it feels a little bit like in the book of Acts, you're waiting for things to get started. Now, who here likes to wait? Any children like to wait? Any students like to wait? Anybody like to wait? Yeah, I don't like to wait either. I mean, if I pull up to a red light and have to wait more than 30 seconds, it's really frustrating. I seem to regularly get behind that person that's on their cell phone at the red light and, and it, it, it turns green and they're on their cell phone doing whatever they're doing. And then all of a sudden the light turns orange and they speed through and I'm stuck to wait through another cycle at the red light. Does anybody else have that experience having you? You're like, oh, um, I go to the dentist tomorrow. I hate to wait at the dentist office, the smell of all the things they clean your teeth with. And I, I have dentophobia or something from trauma as a child. And I'm like, oh, please don't make me go to the dentist. And so I have a little bit of PTSD maybe related to dental work. And so just waiting in that waiting room builds 
the level of anxiety. Uh, maybe you're waiting for news on something and you're waiting to get information back or you're waiting in a checkout line. And, and I don't know anybody that likes to wait. I mean, we stand there in a microwave culture waiting for microwave popcorn to cook in three minutes and we're like standing going, hey, when's this ever going to get done? Waiting is not something that is easy for us to do in the 21st century. But let me tell you something about what the Bible says about waiting. The Bible says that while we're waiting, God is working. And that's really the theme of today's message. While we're waiting, God is always working. Think about it in the bigger story of Scripture. Think about Abraham. Remember Abraham? He was an old man when he heard from the Lord that he was going to be a father. Not, not just a father, but a father of many nations. And then he waits, and he waits, and he waits until he says, I'm an old man, and surely I can no longer have children. But he waits, and while he's waiting, God is working. Think about somebody like Moses. He spends 40 years in the household of Pharaoh in Egypt, and then after an incident in his life, he spends 40 years in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness and he waits for 40 years, but while he's waiting, God is working. Think about a guy like Zechariah. Uh, he's in the temple, and he's waiting his entire life for, a quote, the consolation of Israel, and he becomes a very old man while waiting, and all of a sudden, Jesus is brought to the temple, and, and he finally sees the Messiah face to face, whether it's Abraham or Joseph, Moses or Joshua, Simeon. Or even Jesus himself, think about Jesus waiting. For 30 years, he waited to start his ministry and then had a three-year ministry. He spent 10 times the amount of time waiting that he did actually working. You see, what we have to step back and remind ourselves of is that God is always working even in our waiting. Now, you may say, well, what kinds of things is God doing in our waiting? Well, the Bible tells us all kinds of things that he's doing. Psalm 25 verse 5 tells us that he is teaching us in our waiting. In Psalm 33 and verse 20, he says that he is helping us or equipping us, encouraging us, and praying for us while we're waiting. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, maybe the most important passage on waiting in the Old Testament, he tells us that we who wait upon the Lord will renew our strength while we wait. And so he strengthens us while we're waiting. There's all sorts of things that God is doing while we are waiting. He is working on many, many fronts. But the challenge for us is what do we do while we are waiting? And that's what this story of the anticipation of Pentecost in the second half of Acts chapter 1 is teaching us, that God has designed the world and created His people that while we wait on Him, we are demonstrating our faith, practicing our obedience, and we are promised that He is working. Now, the challenge is that most of us don't like to wait, and so we pick up and begin to pursue things for ourselves, or do things for ourselves, or think we can make things happen, or we try to initiate activity, and usually what we end up doing is pursuing the things that we desire while we're waiting by filling in those waiting spaces with the things we want. But can I tell you, when we fill in those waiting places with the things we want, we will never 
be satisfied. Oh, we may think we'll be satisfied. We may think it's what we really want. But in the end, the Bible says that only God can satisfy the human heart. Let me illustrate this for you. I grew up in Cleveland, Tennessee. And in Cleveland, Tennessee, there's an M&M candy making factory. And a lot of my friends' parents worked at M&M Mars, and they made M&Ms for a living. And I used to think, how cool is it that you make M&Ms for a living? I mean, I'm, I'm a chocolate-holic. I can eat chocolate chip uh, muffins for breakfast, and I can eat chocolate for lunch. And you have to have chocolate before you go to bed. I mean, I, I just kind of love chocolate. And so my, my friends always told me about their parents who worked at M&M Mars always making chocolate and always making M&Ms. And the coolest thing of all was that the M&M making factory let you take home as much M&Ms as you could possibly want. I mean, that sounds like heaven to me. And yet, what one of my friends said surprised me. He said, you know, really you think you'd eat M&Ms for the rest of your life, but it only lasts for about 30 days. You get all the M&Ms you want on day one and you eat them that night and you make yourself sick and you do the same thing again and again and again. And, and what they know at the plant is when they offer you all the M&Ms you could ever want is that you'll eventually get sick of M&Ms and never want an M&M again. And they say after about 30 days, New employees never take an M&M home with them again. Now, as unimaginable as that might seem to be for some of us that are chocoholics, the reality is that's the way it is with the things that we take into our life that we sometimes think will satisfy us while we wait or satisfy us when we think God is absent or satisfy us when we think we want one thing, but we're really uncertain about what we really need. It is an unsatisfying spiritual thing to try to plug anything else but God into that God-sized space in our own heart. And what Acts chapter 1, the second half, teaches us to do is to recognize that it is God that we are wanting while we are waiting, and God is working while we are waiting. Now, let's look together at this passage of Scripture. Maybe you just turn on your Bible or open it there back again to Acts chapter 1. Let's pick up in verse 12, and let's just read through the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen in front of you. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible this morning. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. That's the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus had uh, um, risen into the sky, and the angels appeared and said, this Jesus that is ascended into heaven is going to return in just the same way uh, be busy about God's work. And so they're returning home from this mountaintop experience with Jesus, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons were gathered together and said, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. That's a quote from the Old Testament. 
Now, this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, the 30 pieces of silver, and falling headlong, he burst open into the middle of the field, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were there living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, the field was called Hakal Dama, which is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office. And so there was a looking back into Scripture. What was it that was supposed to happen? Interpret for us what happened with Judas and what we're to do next. And notice what what, uh, is uh, described from that point forward. Peter stands up in verse 21, Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. That's a long story to read and really filled with all sorts of intriguing and interesting aspects of, of the biblical story and of what happened in the upper room and these days of waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. But uh, what I really want to focus upon today is what the apostles and the disciples did while they are waiting. Because the reality is, as a church, we're waiting. We're waiting for God to identify His new shepherd, and we're going through a process, a biblical process of, of preparing the church and preparing our hearts and uh, searching for that right person and letting the relationship be developed between a prospective pastor and a church to come and pastor. And, and there's a sense of waiting that's going on. For, for some of you, you're waiting in your life. Some of the kids in the room waiting for school to start. For maybe some of the young people in the room waiting for God to reveal that person that you're going to marry or waiting for God to... to um, help you to know and discern what He wants you to do in the work that you're doing in life. Or maybe you're a family and you're waiting for God to reveal His will about something. And and the question becomes, what do we do while we wait? We believe that God's at at work, but what do we do while we know God is working behind the scenes? And there are five things that are identified in this passage of Scripture of what to do while you're waiting. It's those five things that I want us to step back and take notes about and and consider and think through in preparation as a church family. And in your worship guide there on the back are five blanks, and I'd like to ask you to fill those in today as you prepare yourself through your waiting, believing, and knowing that God's working. Here's the first thing that we're supposed to do. Number one, we're to obey. That's the first thing that we see the apostles and these disciples doing in the upper room. They obey. Uh, Verse 12 tells us that they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, and they walked from the mountaintop called Olivet, just kind of a little hill, down through the valley, which is the Garden of Gethsemane, 
up the other side, a little bit on the edge of the Temple Mount, over toward Caiaphas' house, and back up to the upper room that was there just on the southern side of the city of Jerusalem. And, and while they're going, they're remembering what Jesus has said. And we remember it from the passage that we were looking at just a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus says, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. It's a very simple instruction, but a very specific command. And it tells us that the disciples were being obedient to Jesus. And listen, obedience is just such an important thing. Obedience is us doing what we know God has prescribed for us to do. Now, I don't know how you were as a kid. I don't even know if you remember being a kid, but I remember driving in my dad's 1976 Pinto stick shift, and I would ask my dad why. He would tell me to do something, and I would ask why, and he would tell me why, and I would say, why again? And then he would describe the answer to that question, and I would say, well, why? And we called it the why game because I was an inquisitive kid who was always asking. And I really didn't know how difficult, annoying, and challenging those moments were as a parent until I had my own kids who wanted to know why and why and why and why. And a lot of Christians are just like me as a child, annoying as I was, and we want to know why and why and why and why and why. And there are seasons in our life that God answers why for us. Scripture speaks or we're new in our faith and God describes why for us. But there are some times when God wants us to not know why but to simply obey. It's the prescriptive will of God. God has prescribed telling the truth and being loving and being kind and reading the Scripture and being in church and being prayerful and the things that we know are described in Scripture that we are to do. And, and when we're waiting, the Bible teaches us this truth, that when we don't know what to do when we're waiting, we should always do what we know to do. So today, if you're waiting and you're wondering what to do, you should start filling in the blanks with what you absolutely know to do. Pray and read the Bible and fellowship with believers and serve in church and give to the church and have your devotional time and walk with the Lord and be kind to others and live on mission for Christ and worship God as the church gathers and serve and minister and care and help. and I mean, we know these things to do, and it's the very first thing that the apostles did. What is it that Jesus has asked for us to do? Okay, we are going to act in faith and act in obedience and do what it is that the Lord has called us to do. That's a mark of maturity in our spiritual life as well, that when we don't know what to do, we step back and we don't doubt, we don't become afraid, we don't become uncertain, but we very simply do what we know to do. There's a second thing that the Bible describes for us in verse 13. It, it tells us that while we wait, we should also fellowship, that we fellowship. They went back into that upper room, and as a matter of fact, it tells us the nature of the special relationships that existed within that upper room. It groups the apostles together in four and two and two and three, and then it groups together the women, and it groups together Jesus' family. 
In other words, they were having a special sense of interaction with one another that was an especially intense time of fellowship. And the Bible describes the nature of what is called koinonia, the word that we derive this word fellowship from, which is a spiritual connectivity that is meaningful for our relationships. Now, there are a lot of people when there's uncertainty in the church or when things aren't like they normally are or things seem to be out of kilter a little bit, that, that become isolated, that they kind of pull back, they separate themselves. And, and yet the Bible tells us that what we are supposed to do is to come together, to be together, to encourage one another, to share our lives together, to relate together, and, and not just go through the motions of talking about the ball game or the last trip or the things going on in our community, but instead to share the spiritual realities of our life, what God's doing in our heart and in our home how we're praying in faith for certain things, or how we're preparing spiritually for the next season of life. In other words, it's more than just going through the ritualistic motions of greeting one another and saying hi and talking about superficial things. Fellowship and koinonia is talking about spiritual things that have substantive impact upon our spiritual journey. And this is where Psalm 133 describes for us that very special thing that occurs. Uh, Psalm 133 says how good and how pleasing, how blessed or how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. In other words, we're professing faith in Christ to one another. We're speaking in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. We're building one another up. We're not speaking with coarse or crass or just joking. But instead, we're encouraging one another through the fellowship together. It's the Hebrews chapter 10 type experience. It's the lettuce passages. Did you know that the Bible talks a, a lot about lettuce in Hebrews chapter 10, it's let us not give up meeting together. Let us not stop encouraging one another. Let us help and assist one another. In other words, when we're together in fellowship, there ought to be a mutual sense of encouraging that is taking place within the body of Christ. And when that happens, there is a sense of well-being and of pleasantness in the body of Christ. Here's the third thing that he says. What do we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait knowing God's working? Well, we obey, we fellowship, but number three, we pray. And this is probably the hardest spiritual discipline for most of us as Christians to practice. We would rather talk about our prayer requests than actually spend time praying about those things that need to be prayed about. But notice how verse 14 says that the apostles and these 120 believers gathered in the upper room prayed. All these prayed with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with, and he goes on to describe the people they're together with. That's a lot of unity language. And it comes out of the experience of praying together. Now, we don't know all the details of everything that they prayed. There are a lot of details about their prayer services in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, there are seven occasions in the book of Acts where there are substantial and robust prayer meetings that are occurring. 
Acts 1, verse 14 through 15, or 14 through 25 that we just read. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it tells us about their prayer. In Acts 3, in Acts 4, in Acts 6, 7, and 8, all tell us about significant times of prayer that the church was engaged in. And when they prayed, here's what they did. Their prayer was accompanied with worship. Their, their prayer was accompanied with a demonstration of their devotion to God. Their prayer was associated with confession of sin or shortcomings or failings. Their confession was associated with thanksgiving and gratitude and happiness. Their prayer was associated with intercession for individuals or requests that needed to be made. And then finally, and, and maybe um, most unusually for many of us in our prayer uh, times with the body or with others, is they were amazed. There was just a sense of wonder and a sense of awe as they stepped back from prayer. I mean, it's a little kid who, who had to go to a Presbyterian prayer meeting with my grandparents, and they prayed without ceasing for about two hours. I, I thought it was all I could do to stay awake, and I wasn't amazed by any of it whatsoever. But what marked their prayer time was a sense of amazement with the good goodness and grandeur of God. And I would say that was my shortcoming as a child, whereas today to spend time in prayer and to step back with the Word of God and the people of God and have a sense of the awesomeness and the holiness and the goodness and the activity of God, that's what marked the early church. And you see, when the church is praying that way, the church is being prepared by God. Maybe the things that marked their prayers the most, though, were these two things, their praise and their fasting. More often than anywhere else in the Bible, when it talks about their prayer life in the book of Acts, it talks about their worship and their fasting. That, that there was a sense of giving themselves to God in worship. I'll never forget what A.W. Tozer uh, wrote in one of his books when he talked about worship. He, he said this about worship. He said that worship is the missing crown in the evangel or missing jewel in the evangelical crown of their blessings. Let me say that again. A.W. Tozer said that worship is the missing jewel in the evangelical crown of their experience with God. And what he was saying was this, he went on to unpack it to say, not only in our praise do we give ourselves to God, but here's what we discover, that in our worship of Him, He gives Himself to us. You know, I think that may be a part of what's missing in some of our churches and some of our worship experiences today, is we solely think of ourselves with uplifted hands as wonderful and beautiful as both our music and our stage and our worship center and our experience of worship is that we think we in some way give something to God. Yes, that's part of it. But have you thought about in your waiting what God wants to give back to you in worship? Himself. That is the spiritual transaction of worship that causes us to leave a worship experience amazed and excited and full and overflowing, pressed down, shaken together so that it's overflowing in our life. And as we leave, it's not just an experience that we came and had, but it's something that we leave with, the holiness and the goodness and the grace and the love and the joy of the Lord that strengthens us for the week that is ahead. 
what a beautiful thing God does in our worship. And then, of course, the fasting idea. Um, If worship is what we give, the fasting is what we reject. And, of course, fasting can be from food or drinks or things like that, but there are other aspects of fasting. If anything of this world that we say no to in order to give our attention more wholly and completely to God. And and one of the things that uh, has become popular uh, in our day, in our time among many Christians, is fasting from a social media engagement, things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And whether we realize it or not, the way we present ourselves on those platforms can say so much about where our heart is. As a matter of fact, just like our words or our behavior or attitudes often betray us and demonstrate where our heart really is, so does our social media. As a matter of fact, I was reading something a friend sent to me from Forbes magazine a couple of years ago as he was uh, preaching a sermon series on this. He was describing, I said, man, I've got to read that. And he sent me this Forbes magazine article that basically said every generation can use social media for their selfish purposes and their self-aggrandizement. For the younger people, they said that the tendency is they push the edge of forcing their agendas and opinions. For the young adults, they want to reflect an image of their life that is maybe uh, present or maybe absent. And then for older people, they want to look back on their life and say, look, my life is meaningful and substantial and important, and we all promote our image in that sort of way, knowing that our lives are all imperfect lives, no matter how we try to present them to others. And I think a lot of people have discovered that in having a technology fast, when they step back from that technology, that that they can wait with God and, and God can work in that arena because probably one of the arenas where the greatest struggle of sin in many of our evangelical Christians' lives is in the arena of social media where we are not aware of what we are doing or we are careless about how we are portraying ourselves or we are unaware that God has not sanctified that dimension of our life. And a lot of that dimension of our life needs to be baptized so that we can, in all areas of our life, give glory to God for all that He does in us. Now, all of that comes as a part of our waiting, as a part of our praying, as a part of our self-reflection, as a part of our worship while we wait, knowing and believing that God is at work. Let's look at a fourth thing, a fourth aspect of what we do while we wait. It's from the example of what Peter did in uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. And what was he saying? He was saying that during that 40 days of waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them, they searched the Scriptures. And, and, and the point is this, is you and I must study the Word of God while we wait. Because studying the Word of God keeps us oriented. It's like the compass and the map in our hand. It keeps us on bearing. It keeps us from deviating to the right or the left. It's like the Bible says, this is the way of the Lord. We hear the voice in Scripture from the Lord that says, this is the way of the Lord, walk in it. Because I can promise you this, there's a way which seems right unto a man, but its path leads to death. 
So if I follow my natural inclinations, I'm going to be on a path in my waiting that leads to me missing the mark, falling off the path, going the wrong direction. But when I hear the word of the Lord, when I hear what God has to say, the Bible says God raises up a straight way in the wilderness. He removes the stumbling block for us. And that's why when prayer and scripture reading go together, it is a transformed life that will and can be lived. The question then becomes, in our waiting, how faithful are we in reading the Word of God and spending time in prayer? I I will tell you this, for the person who is spending time in prayer and reading the Word of God, they will have the orienting work of God in their lives. I love the way Luke represents the focus on Scripture in Acts chapter 1 as Peter was saying, hey, what do we do? Hey, we need to understand Judas in light of what the Scripture said would happen. There was going to be one that betrayed him. God isn't surprised by these things. Look at what the Word of God says. And then, by the way, notice that it also says that someone should take his place. And then they began to act according to the spiritual work of God to have that person take their place. Did you know Luke also ended the gospel of Luke that way? He said, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus began to interpret for them everything that the Scripture said. That was one of his resurrection appearances. In other words, Jesus was teaching us to go back to the Scriptures and say, interpret my life in light of the Scriptures, interpret my death in light of the Scriptures, interpret my resurrection in light of the Scriptures, and go to the Scriptures because what? God gives them to us as that orienting, direction-giving, life-giving source of teaching and truth that comes from God. And so they began to search the Scriptures. And as we do, God will lead us faithfully. We go to the Scriptures and say, what do the Scriptures say? Now, here's the final thing. In verses 21 through 26, we see a new leader begin to arise. This new leader is directed and called and identified and brought into the number of the apostles. And it reminds us of the final step The final step of activity of what you do while you wait is number five, you prepare. You know, like right now, it's a great time for the church to prepare, the church at Palmetto to prepare for its new pastor. It's not a time for the sheep to scatter, it's a time for the sheep to gather. It's not a time for the sheep to doubt, it's a time for the sheep to hear the word of the Lord and spend time in prayer and in fellowship and encourage one another about those next steps that God is going to want you to take. It's not a time for leaders to step away. No, 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 it's time for even new leaders to join in and say, hey, let's prepare our hearts for what God wants to do next because the task that was immediately ahead of these apostles was nothing less than global evangelism and disciple-making, the single largest endeavor in human history that has ever been undertaken. And in that moment, they were preparing We need everybody in their place. We need everybody knowing what to do. We need everybody fulfilling what the Scripture says. So it's not a time for people to sit on the sidelines. No, no, no. It's a time for people to gather and to say, God, prepare us. And we've got to prepare our hearts first and foremost, right? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We've got to prepare our hearts before the Lord. 
And then we've got to prepare organizationally for the ministry functions of the church, as we'll see next time, worship, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, fellowship, stewardship, and prayer, the, the functions of the church. We've got a structure for the activity of the church. And then each of those leaders has to use their gift of leadership in a way that blesses the church and pleases the church. And oh, I could go on and on about the importance of this, but let me pull back from going on and on about it to simply say this, it's a time to prepare. Prepare by doing what? Well, making sure that we multiply our Sunday school classes and small group classes, making sure that we equip our leaders and teach our leaders how to be teachers and disciple makers, to make sure that the necessary committees to help the church operate and function are staffed and equipped with people who are called and and who are passionate about the work that they're doing. All of these sorts of things are so important to make sure that we are prepared by storing up in the storehouse all the resources of the tithes and the offerings of the people. I mean, these are all the things that we ought to be preparing, doing, believing that God while we're waiting is working in us, preparing us for the shepherd he brings to do his work in the next generation season of Palmetto. And listen, when you do that, life in church and your spiritual journey is about as joyful and as exciting as it can possibly be because your heart is upon the Lord. You're fully available to the Lord. And and that's why Peter, when he later in the book of Acts is standing in front of the leaders and they're telling him to stop and quit and don't do and all these other things. And you know what he says? (laughs) You can choose for yourself whatever you want. But as for me, we can't help but doing what the Lord has called and commanded us to do. And it's that sort of joy and excitement and enthusiasm about the church work that happens when God's people have waited, believing that God is working. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? As you do, um, I would just leave you with this final thought. It's what Augustine said. He said, my soul's restless until I find my rest in you. Maybe you're here today and you're a little restless. You're going to be restless until you find your rest in Christ. And so as we stand to sing in just a moment, maybe you're here and you need somebody to help you spiritually navigate the challenges, the needs, the the journey ahead. And that's what a church is here to do. Whether it's me here at the front in this moment, or whether it's Pastor Jed or Damon or Pastor Eric or one of our deacons or a Sunday school teacher that you're a part of, what I would say is, One of the most important things to having a vibrant life in Christ is to always be ready to say yes to Jesus when he speaks. And that may be right now in a worship service, kids it may be this week during vacation Bible school, students it may be on a mission activity or trip that you're taking, but it's always good, right, and pleasing to be ready to say yes to Jesus. I don't know what that is, but the Holy Spirit knows how to counsel you there. Maybe it's something that we talked about today. Maybe it's a verse of Scripture, a passage. Maybe it's something that happened long before you came in this room today. But the Holy Spirit knows how to work while you wait. If you need help in that this morning, you can slip forward just now, see one of these that I've mentioned after the service is over sometime this week. But I would encourage you to give God room to work while you wait. Father, thank you for this message, these words from Scripture, the example that the early church is to us. And as we worship you, Lord, may this be a moment of waiting as well, where we not only 
give to you our praise and worship, but we have a sense that you are giving yourself back to us in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.